It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Uh, Nikki and I got back in the States probably about a month ago, and it's only our second time getting to be at, at LifeBridge since we've been back. We're kind of bouncing around and have been on the road a couple times already, but uh, we're excited to be back. Some of you, I'm excited because there's a lot of new faces I see here that I'm not familiar with, so it's exciting to see new people here. So I feel like maybe, although most of you know us, I feel like I should share a little bit about who we are. Um, I'm Jordan. My wife's Nikki here, and Nikki grew up here at LifeBridge, uh, grew up in the youth group. Bruce was the youth pastor for her then, and and Chris has been around, and many of you have seen her grow up, and so this is her home church, and I myself am from Hutchinson, Kansas, and so um, sent out of Westside Baptist, Tim Adrian, uh, Pastor Bruce's cousin, is my pastor, and so uh, we both grew up in church. We both were blessed by what you know, Chris was just talking about youth groups that really instilled in us a love for God, a love for the gospel, and a love for missions. And so we surrendered to be missionaries as teens in our separate churches, came together, um, have been sent out to the Philippines, finished two terms there now. And uh, although Westside, my home church, is technically our sending church, you know, you at LifeBridge are really right up there. You're our second sending church. You know, we count you as, as that, as our you know, support in our family, sending us out. So uh, it's great to be back with you. Uh, we'll be here for about a year and uh, raising more funds for the ministry, putting Desmond in kindergarten, and uh, excited to be around and in and out on the road. And before I jump into Galatians, I do want to just take a minute just to catch you up on this last term, a little bit about what's been going on. Um, you know, we're in Metro Manila, Philippines, big city, all of that. And, and as many of you know, my, our heartbeat is training Filipinos, equipping them for ministry, raising them up as leaders who can serve alongside us and take the gospel out and plant churches, go out as missionaries. And so through that, I've been teaching in Baptist Bible College Asia. And when I first got back, uh, got offered, or really the position kind of fell on my lap, the need for it, our registrar had stepped away from BBCA. And so somebody needed to step up and fill that role. So I, I did this past term, the last two and a half years. And uh, so I was in charge of records and grades and deans and professors for the college of 1,600 students. And can I tell you, when we I stepped in, it's pretty much all on paper. <laughs> and it was a nightmare. So <laughs> as you can imagine. <laughs> so we... You know, I was kind of working to help upgrade us to the digital age and trying to track records a little better and transcripts and and all of that. And and not an easy thing. It's kind of like herding cats, Uh, trying to manage about 30 campus locations. We have 200 volunteer professors teaching. and, And because they're volunteers, they're not getting paid. They're giving up their time, which is awesome. But... You know, they're busy with work and ministry, so sometimes you have to get on them to get those grades turned in and follow up with them. But but it was a joy to get to serve in that capacity and help strengthen the college. And I got to teach several times uh, cross-cultural communications to our mission students, young Filipinos who have surrendered to go out as missionaries and get to teach them a little bit about how to be better equipped in both understanding their own culture, looking at going into a new culture and grasping how do we both learn the culture but stay true to the gospel how do we communicate it across cultural boundaries and uh, so that's just a great joy in fact uh, 
I believe I have about six former students who are currently either serving as missionaries in Cambodia or in preparation to go there or Thailand. So it's exciting to see uh, many of these young people now stepping out and going cross-culturally as well. Um, the other big thing this past term is we uh, got involved with a, a young church. Uh, one of my former students was pastoring. He had just stepped in about a year or two before we came in, and, and so I was able to serve in the church. We were able to kind of assist him and uh, Pastor Joel and his wife, Den, and their three-year-old daughter, Divine. And it was a joy to serve with them in the church and minister in our community of Cayenta. And uh, so we got to see many great things going on in the church. Um, you know, we met on the third floor of a small building. I mean, if you want to imagine, the build space we were in, if you just the, that little section there, just where the wall juts out, that's about the space we had with about 40 to 50 members every week. No air conditioning, third floor, super hot, um, you know, pretty much drenched in sweat when you left every day or every week. But, uh, you know, that's where we ministered in church. And second floor of the building was an internet cafe. First floor was a salon and burger stand. And, and, and so we were just right there in the community getting to minister. And we started a kids program while we were there at the church, which met on the landing of the second floor in front of the internet cafe. So that took a little bit of adjustment for us to kind of trust God and let the kids, Desmond and Amelia, go down there and kind of be out of sight. And, you know, it, it's it's an interesting uh, adaptation we had to go through, but it was great to see them. They loved being in Sunday school. They built relationships with the other Filipino kids. Um, really, if I had to say, just probably the, one of the best parts of this last term was we just developed, I think, more comfort in the culture and really just adjusting and being in the Philippines. Um, you know, there's still struggles. There's still difficulties. You know, taking two hours to travel, maybe seven miles in traffic, is is a frustration. Um, but, you know, you get used to it a little bit. You learn to have plenty of podcasts and music on your phone. Um, but, you know, I feel like this past term, we really did begin to adjust as a family to the culture and really adapt to that. And uh, even to the point where, you know, Desmond, he was excited to come back to Kansas City. But since he's been back, he's been asking, when are we going back to the Philippines? You know, so to see that, you know, is encouraging to see the kids adapting and loving where we are. So, <clears throat> um, so we're t- I asked Chris if I could teach from Galatians. In, uh, in uh, Antioch, at our, at our church we were helping with there in the Philippines, um, you know, I preached about once a month, but I studied and helped Pastor Joel in the sermon planning. And so right before we left, we finished a 12-week study on Galatians together. And so that was really beneficial to our church and uh, to our people there for many reasons. And I thought... You know, it's also beneficial to us as well to just maybe take a brief overview of Galatians. I can't share with you everything we learned in 12 weeks of study, but I want to bring home maybe like three major lessons that I felt like really benefited the hearts uh, of our church members and that I felt like really challenged me and uh, would be beneficial for us to review as well. So if you'll turn to Galatians, um, so get this pulled up. I titled this True Freedom Lessons from Galatians because really that is at the heart of Galatians, this concept of being truly free, truly free in Christ, in the gospel. Um, As we look at the book of Galatians, 
it becomes apparent that you know the purpose of Galatians is to share how to experience true freedom in life. Share how to experience true freedom in life. And that freedom comes through the gospel. You know, Paul writes this letter to the book or to the churches in Galatia, churches he helped found on his first missionary journey. And as he writes to them, he is very alarmed about news he's hearing about them. They have experienced the gospel, they've they've trusted Christ by faith, and yet he is hearing news about about them that it concerns them. And if you look at Galatians chapter one, verse six through seven, it says this. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. He's trying to strain these Christians out, and they don't quite realize they need straightened out, right? That's usually the problem. We don't realize when we need somebody to speak into our our lives that we're getting a little bit off track. It just starts off a little bit, but they have gone far off track, and Paul needs to straighten them out. And what stems from is they have gone from believing salvation, came by faith alone, they've been set free by the gospel to thinking they need to assist Christ in assuring their salvation through their own commitment to obey the Old Testament Mosaic law, especially the Jewish covenant of circumcision the marking of their flesh to note that they belong to God. And so they've added this to their gospel. They've begun to follow these teachers who've come in, who've led them astray and said, oh, that's good that you are believing in the gospel. You need to be circumcised too. And Paul thinks this is concerning. Paul thinks this is a big issue. And so we'll see three lessons as he addresses this. But first of all, Paul, the first two chapters, he just begins by just addressing his own testimony, his own ministry experience, and reminds them that if anybody would have told you to be circumcised, it would have been me. I was this devout Jew, this Pharisee, this teacher of the law. That's where I came from. And he says, if anybody would have taught you that you need to be circumcised, it would have been me. But he says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, he says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Here is Paul's crux of his argument. And he says this. He says... As a Jewish Christian, I tried to live that life of trying to please God on my own. And that's really where it comes from, this this need for circumcision, this need to say, I need to please God. I need to meet this standard to be in his good grace. I need to take this step. And since these teachers came and said, hey, that's great you want to be a Christian, you need to become a Jew first and then a Christian, in a sense, is what they're saying. that's, That's significant for us because I think probably all of us here are not Jews, right? And it'd be a very different thing if we had to convert to Judaism first and then become a Christian. And so Paul says, I tried that lifestyle. I grew up in that. And you know what? The law doesn't save. The law shows us our need for a savior. The law is not going to get you there. Trying to obey this, this ritual, this custom, this law is not going to get you to Christ. He says, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. You can't add anything to it. You can't work your way to it. 
I feel like this was a very relevant lesson to pound home to our Filipino Christians. You know, we, in our culture there, are coming from a very largely Catholic background, but Catholic Catholicism that's been blended with animism. You know, their native religions prior to the Catholics, the Spanish coming in, and so it's a very superstitious, ritualistic blend of faith that the Filipinos are immersed in. You know, we've shared in the past about places like the big cathedral, the Church of the Black Nazarene, where Filipinos come and they just crawl on their knees from the back of the church to the front, wailing, praying to God that he would hear them. And they go by glass, you know, stat, wooden statues of Christ, rubbing it with a rag and rubbing it on themselves, trying to go through a ritual to get God's blessing, to please God. And that's the background they're coming out of. And as they come into the church, even though they have accepted Christ by faith and entered the church, there's still that old tendency of, am I okay with God? Do I need to do something? Have I, tr-? you know, we don't want them to trade in these Catholic rituals to say, okay, now your rituals are attend church every week, go to small group, read your Bible every day. And if you do these rituals, you'll be in good, good grace with God. No, they're in good grace with God because of their faith in the gospel and his saving work on the cross. And so we have to kind of help them see, you know, I left this mentality of, because I've talked to many Filipinos, you ask them, how do you know you're going to go to heaven? They'll say, oh, I, do, I, do more good, I do mostly good stuff. I'm a moral person. Even as a Catholic, they'll say, my, my assurance is I've done more good than bad. I've gotten on good, God's good side. And even in our, our church, we have to help them see you're in God's good grace because it's not about what you can do. It's what God has done for you. So that brings me to my first lesson. And as we see this, we'll see Paul illustrates a concern for the Galatian church, a plea, and an objective in, in writing to them. So Paul's concern, if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 4, again, there's so much in the book of Galatians, we're just going to hit upon three big lessons here. But Paul's concern is self-imposed slavery. Wow. I don't even have to read it to you. We can just listen. Paul's Paul's concern is self-imposed slavery. They have returned to slavery, and they need to be remembered. They've already been set free. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 8 through 11, he says this to them, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul is not pulling his punches here. But he's saying, so he begins here, and and his lesson to them, as he's concerned about their self-imposed slavery, he says, lesson number one, don't turn back to worship false idols. Don't turn back to that lifestyle said, you were saved from that, don't go back. Well, it's interesting because they don't think they're going back to worshiping false idols, right? You know, they may have been slaved out of whatever um, pagan religion they were in, and now they think, well, now we're adding these days and rituals and years, the circumcision. Those days and rituals and years, those seasons they're celebrating, most likely Jewish holidays, not their old pagan holidays. They think... We're doing good. We're following these things from the Old Testament. 
and we're going to be in God's good grace. He says, there's a connection between what you're doing and what you came from. And what we see here is there's two kinds of false idolatry. They've gone from one to the other. The first kind of false idolatry is worshiping false gods. That seems kind of obvious, right? If you're worshiping a false god or another god besides the god of the Bible, then we would see that as a a false idolatry. Worshiping gods who are not gods. He says, you came from that. You were enslaved to that. And if you look at the, you know, in the Old Testament, we see that was very much the problem of the Israelites. They were constantly turning to these false gods for hope when they had the one true God who had saved them, who had rescued them from, from Egypt, out of slavery. And yet what happened with the Israelites even right after being rescued? They said, Moses, you've led us into a desert. We are better off as slaves. We have this natural tendency to return to what was comfortable before. And yet, isn't it kind of crazy that we, we want to do that? The, we, we look at the Israelites and say, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to go back and be slaves? You've been set free. Why would the Galatians want to go back to false idolatry? Well, they don't. They won't, don't want to worship their old pagan idols that they've been rescued from. But it seeps. It can seep into our mentality of even still being beholden to those things that we came out of. In the Philippines, you know, I remember even, like, again, an example of how this old mentality seeps in. But in the Philippines, they're very superstitious. Those old animistic beliefs have been blended in with Catholicism. So, so it's not uncommon for Philippines to believe in supernatural occurrences like ghosts and vampires and things like that. They don't see that as silly or as stuff of movies. Like, that's a real thing, especially in the provinces. I remember seeing a house and somebody moving into a home, and they called the Catholic priest as kind of a, you know, the standard thing. You move into a new home, you call the Catholic priest, and he walks through the home and he prays over and blesses the home in each room kind of keep evil spirits at bay to keep the home protected and i watched this once but when we moved into our new home this term i got sick the first week we moved in and desmond got sick like very sick we were both pretty much laid out the first week and we were talking to this dear lady at at, uh um you know greg's we were first at greg's uh, main church, Greg Lyons' main church, and and she has been a Christian for probably 20, 30 years. And she said, oh, you know what, why you're sick? Because you didn't pray over the house walking through it when you moved in. See, she she still thought it, she had kind of changed her opinion of it a little bit. It's, we need to pray God to bless your home. But it was still that old, ritualistic, animistic belief system had still seeped in, and she didn't see it. It had been brought in with her into her Christianity, and she hadn't separated out and recognized, no, that's that's a form of of what you used to believe. That's not, is it a bad thing to pray over your home when you move into it and say, I want to dedicate my home to God? No. But she was equating as, you didn't do this, therefore this happened. If you don't do this to please God, this will happen. And we can think of that sometimes. You know, are we at church every week, week in and week out, because we joyfully want to gather with the saints and celebrate and worship God? Or do we sometimes look at it as a checklist of, oh, that's my weekly routine. I've got to be there. 
I've got to be there every week. If I miss it, somebody's Pastor Chris is going to call me. Where were you? So I've got to punch the clock. You know, we can easily, if we're not careful, allow the standards of our Christian faith to become this ritual that, or if sometimes we fall into a trap. When something bad happens in our life, we say, you know why that happened? God let that happen because of this. I messed up the other day, I sinned, and then he let this happen. Or that happened because, you know, I, I just haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been doing these things. And so we begin to slowly shift our view of what God com- desires us to do. He commands us to do, yes. But we begin to equate it as, I have to do this, or therefore, bad stuff will happen to me. God will not bless me. Negative things will happen in my life. And so there's a very subtle but key difference between doing what God commands us to do out of the love of the grace that he has shown us and doing it out of a kind of a false idolatry, false ritual kind of system. Which brings us to our second false idolatry, false gospels, worshiping religion instead of God. We can slowly begin to worship the rituals that of the church and of, of our own religion and lose sight of him who saved us. Trying to use God to get something you want is what happens when we become enslaved to false ritualism. And that's what animism is. Animism is you know, praying to the sun god that he will shine and give us good harvest. Praying to the rain god that he'll give us water. We, we, in a sense, it's not too different than the prosperity gospel we see pervasive. Of Pray to God, I want this, I'll do this, you'll give me this. Because of that mentality, prosperity gospel kind of thinking is very prevalent in the Philippines. Very popular in Filipino circles, especially when you look at an impoverished nation of people who say, I want a better life. It's an easy sell to say, well, if I just add a little bit of this to my preaching, I'll attract a crowd. But God's not a formula. We, we experience them completely by faith, but these Galatians had moved from false idolatry, worshiping false gods, to false religion. They were allowing their rituals to overtake their faith in Christ and letting that be the motivating factor in their spiritual walk. It's a sad thing to think that we can get to that point if we're not careful. Um, it makes me think of one of the most unique church experiences I had on deputation, our first go-around, um, you know, typically in BBFI, Baptist churches, but we actually visited a congregational church. You may remember Stephen and Julie Bounds. They were here for a little while, and they ended up going to this congregational church in Illinois. Um, so I was like, I didn't know what to expect. They invited us to come and speak, and it was a unique experience, very different kind of church culture, different kind of, of you know, just everything was different about it. But reason Stephen had gone to this church is because he wanted to essentially evangelize the church because these people were not... You know, they'd go to church every week because it was their ritual, is their country club, you know, social group. And I remember he was telling me when we went and visited, he said, this, when you preach missions to them, this is going to be completely new to them. I mean, I've been preaching the gospel. And I had a lady come up and ask me to stop because she, she doesn't like hearing it. She was not interested in hearing him preach salvation. 
because for them, the church had just become this social group, this ritual, this false religion to worship instead of the actual true purpose of gathering together as a body of believers and hearing the word of God preached. And, and uh, you know, he's, it was an interesting experience to see that, but that's, that's what happens when we allow false religion to overtake our faith in Christ. So Paul says, these are all forms of slavery we can return to. Don't do it. He says, don't turn back to worship your false idols. Secondly, we see Paul's plea, gospel-fueled freedom. If you'll turn to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, gospel-fueled freedom is Paul's plea. He doesn't want them to return to self-imposed slavery. He wants them to experience gospel-fueled freedom. It says in chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith. We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Probably never said the word circumcision so many times in a sermon as today, but when we hear that, we need to just remember what he's talking about is you trying to achieve your way to God through your works, through your physical acts. He says, that's not of any value to you. It's, you're, it's a form of slavery. And it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. So we see here, we need to, lesson number two, stand firm in faith by trusting in Christ alone. Christ has set us free. Free from being justified by trying and failing to keep the Old Testament law. Free from being justified by trying and failing to be a moral person on our own strength and trying to please him, trying to balance the scales and trying to stay on God's good side. We've been set free from that. Free to accept salvation through no effort of our own by faith in Jesus. Free to reject outward acts of religiousness in favor of inward transformation of our hearts. That's what Paul desires for them. Christ has set us free for a reason. He says, it seems redundant. He says, it's for freedom Christ has set you free. But again, he's pounding home the idea of you've returned to slavery. Why would you do that? In fact, it reminds me of a quote from, um, you know, famous and, and just significant, you know, former slave Harriet Tubman who led many slaves out of slavery. But she said this, Now I've been free, I know what a dreadful condition slavery is. I have seen hundreds of escaped slaves, but I never saw one who was willing to go back and be a slave again. And of course, why would you want to go back to that? And yet he's saying, that's exactly what you're doing, Galatians. You've been set free for a purpose. Why would you want to go back to that? He has set us free, not so we can be slaves, but so we can be free. And it's essential to our understanding of this true freedom in the gospel in Galatians. If we're made to be free, if we've been set free by the precious blood of Christ shed on the cross, if our chains have been broken, our bondage overthrown, our captivity come to an end, then we must stand firm in our freedom. Don't turn back, don't go back to slavery. 
See, the gospel equation is, is a fairly simple equation. And he wants them to remember this. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We can't add anything to it. You know, Paul is saying salvation is not by works. But it's also, it's not by faith plus works. Salvation is by faith alone. True salvation through the gospel is by faith alone. And so we cannot work for our salvation, not even a little bit. Of course, later in Galatians chapter 5, he addresses the, the danger that we can fall in if we take that to the opposite extreme. Oh, it's by faith alone, it's not by works, then I'm free to do whatever I want. He says, no, 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 that's not how it works either. He says, no, we don't fall into living a hedonistic, sinful, self-centered lifestyle. He says, there's fruits of the Spirit that should be flourishing in our life because the Holy Spirit lives inside us, because we've been transformed by the gospel. But those fruits of the Spirit flourish out of our awe and wonder of the grace of Jesus Christ and not because we feel obligated to do that or or God will be upset with us. We should love him so much that we desire to have that flourishing in our life, to bring fruit to him that would please him and bring glory to his name, not because it's an empty ritual obligation. We need to embrace the true gospel and live by the true gospel. You know, we, you know, I fall into that trap. I can easily fall into the mentality of, man, I didn't read my Bible today. You know, what was I thinking? And, and you know, to fall into these, I've got to keep my rituals. I'm very, if you, you, you could probably guess, but I'm a fairly structured person. I like things to be ordered a simple way. I like things to... A, a strict schedule. I like, you know, very detail oriented. And so I like to have, Nikki knows, she'll probably laugh at this, but, you know, in the morning, I wake up, I want to drink my coffee, I want to do my reading, I don't really want to speak to anybody. I need like about an hour to fully become alert before I'm ready for conversation. Because I have my morning ritual. I want my coffee, I want my, my Bible, and maybe another book that I'm going to be reading from, and I just want a little peace and quiet and to enjoy that. Well, our kids typically wake up around 5, 5.30, 8 a.m., so very rarely get that peace and quiet in the morning. But, you know, I still, I try. That's, that's what I desire in the morning, just to have that little bit of time. Nikki's usually up probably an hour before I am, so she's been up for an hour. She's already had her quiet time. She's already had her coffee. She's already thought her thoughts and is ready to talk and just kind of <laughs> say all these things to me. And I just want my, my structured, my want things in the box. I want things to kind of go the same way every day. In the Philippines, rarely do things go the same way every day. It may take me 20 minutes to drive to the store. It may take me two hours. You know, you just cannot predict, you cannot schedule, you not, cannot keep things in, the, in that structure. Desmond's kind of taken after me. We could tell you some funny stories of just how intentionally deliberate he is about things being a certain way and how upset he gets when things are not that way. But all that to say is I can fall into this trap of saying I want things a certain way. I want to read my Bible every day. I want to do this in a certain order. 
it's easy for me to kind of get so obsessed about doing things a certain way that I lose sight of why am I doing them. And we all can fall into that trap. But what I've learned really over the last few years is that the gospel is not just for one moment in our lives when we get saved. The gospel is for every day of our lives to fuel us with true freedom in Christ to remind us that every day the gospel empowers us to walk by faith with Christ and because of that relationship to just cherish um, just his grace and his mercy and, and the things he's doing in our lives, the transformation he's bringing about around us in the lives of the people we're ministering to. If you've served in ministry, you can know that it's easy to get so focused even on ministry and doing good things for God that you lose sight of the one you're doing for. But we must not fall into that trap. Paul says, you've been set free, freedom, for freedom you've been set free. Embrace the true gospel. Live by the true gospel. We need to stand firm in our freedom, in our faith. And that brings me to our last lesson. And this is probably one that's been you know, deeply valuable as well, going to Galatians chapter 6. We see Paul's objective through all of this is for the Galatians to experience Christ-centered perseverance. Christ-centered perseverance. At the end of chapter 5, he talks about the fruits of the Spirit that should be flourishing in our lives, should be growing because of our faith in the gospel and because of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our sanctification. And then he goes into the church and he says, Here's how we should live together as a church and how we should minister and, and support each other, help each other in times of temptation and times of burden and sin. But he gets to chapter 6, verse 12, and kind of takes a turn as he concludes the letter. He concludes it in an interesting way. He returns back to where he began, addressing these teachers who've come in, who've led them astray with these rituals and customs and Jewish, Jewish circumcision. And he says this in chapter 6, verse 12 is those who want to make a good showing of the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. And he repeats again, For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation." As for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, upon the Israel of God. For now, from now, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What's interesting to see is that he moves from slavery to freedom, and then he talks about, in a sense, persecution. He says, these people who are trying to lead you astray, they're not even doing it because they have your best interest in heart. They're not trying to get you trapped in this ritualism because it's going to benefit you. It's because they're trying to protect their own skin. So they're worried about persecution. And it makes sense, really, when you look at the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13 and 14. When Paul went through this area, this region of Galatia, they, he encountered intense persecution as these churches were founded. As he goes through these cities in Acts chapter 13, verse 50, it says, The Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. 
in chapter 14, verse 2, and in verse 4 through 6, it says, The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. The people of the city were divided, some side with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to the next cities. And then in four, chapter 14, verse 19 through 22, it says, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city, and the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby, where they preached the gospel. And so at the very beginning of these churches, they were surrounded by persecution. Paul was being hounded, and it wasn't by the pagans. It was by the Jews, the Jews who rejected the teaching of, of faith in Christ. And so these, these false teachers come in, and they've said, well, if you just get circumcised... You'd please the Jews, there'd be less persecution, there'd be less pressure, there'd be less conflict with the culture around you. If you just do this one thing, your life would be a little bit easier, and ours too. They're trying to lead them into slave, this self-imposed slavery because of fear, fear of persecution, fear of hardship, fear of tribulation. <clears throat> And Paul's pointing back and he says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. He says, you saw it. I didn't back down. When they came and persecuted me, and I was drug out this into the streets and stoned, you saw the scars on, on my body. You saw the marks of Christ on me. I was willing to suffer for what I believed in. Don't back down because you're not willing to do the same. That's what we've been called to do is to persevere in Christ, even in the midst of persecution. And that's the lesson number three. Grow and bear fruit by pursuing a Christ-centered life through perseverance. <clears throat> um, that was very relevant to our church. You know, most of our church members are first-generation Christians. They've been saved out of this Catholic Catholicism. Their family's all Catholic. Many of our church members are young people, so they're still living at home with their parents who are upset with them about the decisions we've made, they've made to follow Christ, to attend the Baptist church, which is seen as the cult by the Catholic church. And so they experience intense pressures from their family. Stop going to church. Stop doing these things. Why are you doing these things? Which makes it all the more glorious when they're just willing to persevere in the midst of that. I knew many of my BBCA students who said, my family refuses to give me any money to go to school at BBCA to support me. They want me to go and get a real job so I can support the family, so I can bring money in for us. They're upset with me. And yet they determine to persevere and keep studying God's Word. Many of our church members, they're coming out of homes where there's lots of pressure. I remember at our first church plant during our first term, many of the families didn't want their kids to come to church. They thought that, and sometimes the kids were, the teens were reacting to their parents, and so they'd be a bit more rebellious, a bit more confrontational with their parents, and we'd have to say, no, that's not what we're wanting you to do. You need to honor and respect your parents. And by pushing them to respect their parents, even when they're, you know, we're trying to push them to have a good testimony to them. But that's why it's all the more greater when I just got a text this week from uh, Pastor Joel that a young man who was saved through our 
our church and was going through our tough guys ministry, martial arts, discipleship. Pastor Joel's a black belt, and so he does does that. Just got baptized last week. Still been saved a few months and, and decided to take that step of faith and be baptized to identify with Christ. He's willing to pursue Christ even in the midst of hardships from his family and his home. And how applicable that is to us today in our country, our culture today, where to be Christian and to, to believe in the Bible makes you look like a fool. And yet we know from 1 Corinthians that the foolishness of the gospel is really God's wisdom. And the wisdom of the world is foolishness. We live in a country and culture that we are facing more pressure and persecution. Yet Paul says here, he says, don't water down the gospel. Don't compromise the gospel. Don't add to it. Change it to fit in with those around you who might reject you. He says, persevere. Bear the marks of Christ. Stand firm in your faith. You know, that's, that's a lesson we all could be encouraged by and reminded by. That at the end of the day, Christ wants us to be to persevere because he endured great hardship for us. So those are just a few lessons we learned from Galatians as we were teaching to our church and a little bit about the ministry there. But I hope you too can be encouraged to not return to self-imposed slavery, even subtly, even insidiously, how it can sneak into our hearts. Satan can lie to us and say, begin adding this or change your perspective just a little bit on the gospel. Change your perspective on why you're doing things. Forget, lose your, as he says in Revelation 2, the church in Ephesus, Christ commends them for their good works. And he says, you've forgotten your first love. He says, we must not forget our first love and return to self-imposed slavery, but we must stand firm on our freedom in the gospel so that we can persevere in Christ. So let's uh, pray and I'll, and we'll prepare for church. So. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We just bless our time together as we hear the message pre- preached from Pastor Bruce. And I pray that you prepare our hearts to just just um, savor your word, to listen to your spirit as he guides us and teaches us, as he seeks to sanctify us and draw us closer into our relationship with you. I pray that we would reject, even in our our within our Christianity, within the gospel we've accepted by faith to begin falling back into that works-based mentality, to begin looking at the things we are commanded to do out of love and out of, out of just cherishing your grace to instead do those things out of obligation, out of ritual, out of routine and, and lose sight of just the gloriousness of, of your salvation through Christ, that you sent your Son to die for us and that I pray that even for us who maybe been saved for many years or decades, that we'd still be in awe and wonder of your gospel and your grace, not taking it for granted, but cherishing it and allowing it to fuel our freedom in the gospel to help us to persevere and stand firm in Christ as we faced hardship, as we faced trials, as we faced persecution. And pray that you just continue to bless the ministry of LifeBridge and, and, and the people here and, and use them to be just an incredible witness to the community around them and their family and friends, their co-workers, and, and use those here and, and, and just bless them with their, for their faithfulness, that they would just continue to be 
just gospel witnesses in Kansas City. Just tuning in.